Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Reason for Hope, in case it's your first time, is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided and directed by your questions on the Bible. That's right, we are live with you. You can send in your questions on the Bible on our multiple online platforms that I'll go through in just a moment. And I will be receiving those questions and we'll throw them out here to our guests today to delve into the Word and find the answers to those questions. So if you have maybe a verse or a passage of scripture that you uh, has confused you or you'd like uh, delved into a little bit further, uh, maybe a verse that's meant a lot to you in your life and you'd like us to talk more about that. Maybe something you're going through in your life and you'd like a biblical perspective. You're trying to honor the Lord in that, but uh, you're not quite sure how. Or maybe Christianity as a whole, maybe you're somebody seeking, maybe even other worldviews and religions, how the, what the Bible says about all those things the world, the universe, life, and everything, and all that good stuff. So any question that you have, as long as it's an honest question, as long as you know that we are going to uh, use the Bible to uh, find the answers to those. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. My name is Dave Robson. I'm your host today, and like I say, I'll be uh, viewing all those questions as they come on in with us today, just like yesterday, and also tomorrow, Lord willing, we have Pastor Scott Richards, who's a senior pastor here at hey. Christian Fellowship. Hey, everybody. Good to glad see you. Be, glad you could be with us. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad you can. We got, we, just look, really looking forward to how the Lord leads and guides. We have no idea what questions we're going to get into, which always makes it fun. It does make it fun. Yeah, yeah. and thank you for yeah. being here and making the time to do that. And you're the founder of this of this show as well. Started what twenty years ago or more? Uh, now? Well, nine eleven. Yeah, right. Twenty two. Yeah, nine eleven. You and Pastor Robert Farrow were were led to go on the radio and answer people's questions. You That's right. People would have difficult questions. Where is God in all of this, etc. Yeah. And yep, you kind of stuck, and it became this this ministry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, slowly but surely uh, gained traction. And uh, here we are. I mean, uh, the fact that we are now doing this live uh, podcasting every day, uh, boy, we've just seen how technology has just uh, been transformed from back in the day when we had to actually drive down to a radio station That's right. <laughs> to actually be able to do the program. Yep. Then we thought we were making a big step forward when there was a little uh, T1 box that we had yep. that would uh, call the radio station so that we could right. do it remotely. And uh, now it's uh, videoed and uh, broadcast all over the world. Yeah, definitely moving yeah. with the times. That's great. Yeah, it is. What a, what a proves it. And we have people that view all around the world in Africa and England. I know someone personally there. Yeah. <laughs> Australia. Checking in on the boy, are they? <laughs> that's right. My mother yeah. and father and brother as well. Then, so remote yeah. parenting. That's, yes, <laughs> there you go. exactly. I never get too old for it, according to them. But yeah. also with us, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today, sir? I am under obligation to share wise words from your mother, my grandmother. Okay. All right. We want to tell everyone about the benefits of eating dried grapes and raisin awareness for it. Oh, that's a good one. I got that one. Raisin awareness. <laughs> wow. She sent us a list of 15, so we're going to be here for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. And Thank people wonder that. where I got it. I, just, I know, I yeah. know. Well, it does go uphill from here, hopefully. Yeah. Um, yes, I found the cubit stick. Yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah. You did, still with yes. us. Yes. Did you find one with a rock on and one with the scissors on yet? I know you said you were playing rock, paper, scissors and losing every time. Yeah. No, I haven't thought that far ahead. No. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll have my dad make one. He does, uh, does uh, wood turning. While I'm in England, maybe I'll come back with, that's yeah. a good idea. We got a woodworker here at church too. Yeah. Yes, we do. Peter. Yeah, this is a biblical cubit, by the way. Yeah. If you ever wondered what distance the cubit was, that is it. Yeah. Is it, how long is that? Like two, almost two feet or? Yeah, uh, 18 about 18 inches. inches 18 inches, the, uh, yeah. Elbow to forefinger, although I'm 
Northman, so I'm bigger than the average. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's five feet according to my arm. Yes. <laughs> well, anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not even going to discuss Shaquille O'Neal here. So. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, as I mentioned, uh, Reason for Hope, it's a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. It's a, a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. So if you're in the Tucson area and would like to come check us out, if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship, you're more than welcome to. We're, we're near Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway there. Uh, you can check out our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. We are streaming there live as we speak. If you follow that Watch Live tab, that takes you to our live page. Anytime we're, we're live, we, we stream to here. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to the next show. You'll see a schedule of upcoming um, events. The services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, of which we have three on Sunday mornings and one on Wednesday evenings. We're in the Book of Ezekiel on Wednesday, Book of Acts on Sunday at the moment. Um, but we have other events, of course, uh, that we live stream, so you can check out that list. But when we're live, as I mentioned, as we are now, uh, you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username of your choice and send your questions in that way. Once again, you can send in your questions on the Bible, and that's what uh, we do on the show that, that provides our content. We find the answers to those questions in the Word. So that's one way that you can send your question to us. The direct link to type into your address bar there, ccftucson.online.church, will take you right to that page. Or again, just follow the link from our calvarychristianfellowship.com website. We're live on Facebook as well. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We are live as we speak. You can send the question in on the chat function right there. Facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that if you've been blessed by this ministry. Then why not share it and bless some other people too? We have an app for your mobile device. Look for that uh, red background with a Calvary Chapel Dove logo when you search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. And we have a channel on uh, Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you have um, a, a TV with Roku enabled or an Apple TV or Apple TV device or stick or one of those things, add us as a channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your channel store. And then you can watch us on the big screen. We'll hit the big time in your home right there. Uh, we're on YouTube as well, of course, live there as we speak. Uh, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. That's A Reason for Hope on YouTube. That's a great place to go, not only to watch us live, but if you go to the live tab, um, it's automatically archived right there. So if you missed a show or want to watch it again or um, check out our services that we have here or any other live broadcasts we've done, like I say, it's all archived right there for you on that live tab on YouTube, A Reason for Hope. Uh, and again, on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe and click on the notification bell. Then you'll get a little nudge when we're live as well, a reminder. Uh, Pastor Scott here that I introduce, he's on Twitter. Scott R4H is the handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. There's a a lot of goings on in the Twitter world, and he commentates on that. It's a wild and wacky place, <laughs> I yes. Bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is. I, I tend or to as say they it. say in your neck of the woods, it is a silly place. It is a silly place, yeah. indeed. Yeah. yeah, That's strong language right there, yeah. silly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if you're on Twitter, follow along with Scott there, Scott Alpha H, and he posts highlights from the show and commentary on uh, world events and news events and things like that. It's yeah, really prophecy updates, the whole bit. Right. Yeah. There's so much going on right now. It's. Uh, great to have a biblical perspective on that. It gives us uh, food for prayer and encouragement and peace as well. So Scott Arthur H on Twitter, you can follow along with him. We're on Rumble as well. We put our videos on there, archive versions and some other stuff. So a reason for hope, Bible Q&A on Rumble. If you're on that platform, that's kind of a newer to us platform. And then our email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questionsforhope spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to email us there at any time with your questions on the radio, Reach Radio, or one of the other radio affiliates. We're glad that you're joining us through that method, but you are listening to a pre-recorded version, basically the last show that we did pre-recorded, 
you're listening to on the radio. So we're not live with you, so to speak, but you can use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and then we'll endeavor to get your question on the next show and consider joining us on one of the live platforms when you can literally follow along live with us as well. But however you have managed to join us, we are very glad that you're with us. We're certainly glad for your questions. Please send them in early. We do sometimes run out of time. Um, if you had a question, we've got some leftover questions um, from yesterday, but it's great to restate them if you're with us again. Um, give us a little nudge and we'll try to get those to the top of the, the time here. So great. Well, with all that being said, Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us before I would we go love any to. further? We don't want to take another step until we've prayed. Yeah, I like talking to God. Let's do it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Lord, thank you that you're present here with us. You said where two or more would gather in your name, you'd be there in the midst. That certainly describes the amount of us that are here in the studio. And we're just so grateful that you are here present with us and that you are more desirous for us to understand your word directly, plainly, and in an applicable way than we could ever be. Thank you, Lord, that you've sent the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us to be able to speak your truth, uh, only your truth, and nothing but your truth, as you empower us to be able to do so. Thank you for this privilege of uh, allowing your word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, and allow us at the end of this broadcast to have a deeper relationship with you than we had at the beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yeah. Well, are we jumping into questions? Yeah, let's do, yeah let's do it. Yeah, straight in. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just might mention uh, the big uh, news item today is Pat Robertson, the founder of uh, the 700 Club and the Christian Broadcasting Network, passed away mm. at the age of 93. Oh. Uh, very uh, long and colorful life. Uh, certainly an individual, I would say, that God used in a very powerful way, kind of the pioneer, if you will of uh, much of what we would call Christian media. Uh, CBN uh, over time has uh, uh, morphed into, from its uh, origins with the 700 Club, pretty reliable uh, source of uh, news and information from a Christian point of view. Uh, that being said, Pat Robertson was not uh, without uh, controversy. Uh, mm -hmm. He made a number of uh, predictions prophesying, saying, thus saith the Lord, that did not come to pass. Uh, one of the most notable was that uh, Donald Trump was going to win the last election, uh, and that did not happen. Uh, really important caveat, I guess. Uh, to, the, the best advice I think we can get, and maybe a, a life lesson from all of this, is uh, the value of staying in your lane. Uh, Pat Robertson was certainly a, uh, a, an amazing businessman, good communicator, uh, certainly a, a person who understood uh, television media and how to develop it well. But uh, when we get out of uh, our area of strength and begin to trade in things like uh, giving prophecies on the air and things along this line, mm -hmm. inevitably we end up uh, stumbling. So uh, the exhortation I think that we can take away from Pat Robertson's life is uh, that nobody's perfect. God did use him in some very powerful and profound ways. I was just talking to some uh, dear friends uh, of mine who uh, would say that it was the 700 Club broadcast that ended up uh, bringing them to the Lord in the first place. So, oh. so definitely some good fruit there, uh, a lot of good fruit there. Uh, but uh, there is also the uh, the troubling side of things. So I, I guess when it's all said and done, uh, if you are a follower of a particular area of ministry, a particular venue of ministry, even this ministry itself. Uh, boy, you know, remember something. Jesus Christ is the only one who will never let you down. Jesus is the only one who always gets it right. And any ministry worth its salt is going to point you in that direction. Uh, if uh, we get something wrong, if uh, there's uh, an area uh, where we misrepresent the scriptures in some way, and one of the uh, questions 
uh, that we answer. Uh, we certainly want to be accountable for all of that. Now, that doesn't mean uh, getting into uh, Hatfields versus McCoy's uh, feuds over debatable issues, but we're talking about matters of fact uh, within the scripture. So uh, we place ourselves under that uh, same uh, sort of uh, uh, stricture, if you will, uh, harkening back to what uh, Acts 17.11 said about the believers in Berea, that uh, they are noted as being more noble-minded than those who are at Thessalonica, for they search the scriptures daily uh, and, uh, and uh, checked into it to find out if even the things the Apostle Paul said were really so. Uh, they were eager to know God's truth. If you're eager to know God's truth, God's going to lead you into truth. But don't be afraid of being a critical spiritual consumer. Don't just believe something as you saw it on TV or heard on the radio or, heaven forbid, the internet. I just can't believe the plethora of stuff on Space Monkeys alone I saw online before uh, the program. Uh, the nine-foot-tall aliens in someone's backyard in Las Vegas, uh, uh, apparently. Uh, <laughs> I think that was just a reflection Alleged. of my huge forehead. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is uh, don't be gullible. Uh, do your own homework. And uh, as we often say on this broadcast, make sure your discernometer is in fine working form. What I mean by that is you hear something uh, through Christian media or in church or you, you name it, and there's just something about it that doesn't sit right with you. Don't ignore that. Uh, but uh, don't just sit in the background and go, well, I just don't like that. Uh, you know, be a Berean. Search the scriptures daily to find out if these things are really so. Receive the word with eagerness, and uh, you're going to be just fine. Remember, uh, our allegiance, our loyalty is to Jesus and him alone. Uh, our uh, standard is the Bible and that alone. Uh, and uh, no matter how much weight a particular uh, individual will throw around, a celebrity, doesn't mean they've got it right. Uh, make sure that you uh, don't uh, cheat your master, if you will, by copying your answers out of the back of the book. Work through your convictions regarding your relationship mm. with Christ. You'll never go wrong. Mm. Very good. Yep. That's good guidance. Yep. Well, we've got some great questions coming in already. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, awesome. awesome let's out there. let's yeah. dive in. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I almost, I refreshed my page. Like, was this yesterday's show I'm looking at? Because there's already all these questions. <laughs> I'm like, nope, that's today's. You guys are great. We're glad you're out there. A uh, question from Yari, one of our regulars. Good to see you, Yari. Figuratively speaking, see you. Uh, why does it seem like those who grow up in the church wind up walking away from God when they get older? And why does it seem those who grew up atheists seem closer to God. Is it too many rules things? So I'm not sure the well, statistics on I that. I missed well, that memo. Well, well yeah. uh, let me answer that just as succinctly as we possibly can. Uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are told uh, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, what it means is God doesn't stamp us out in a cookie-cutter sort of a mold. You have individuals like me who were raised without faith, uh, and uh, pretty much considered myself to be an atheist before I came to know the Lord. And, you know, again, I had a radical conversion. On the, and people say, well, you know, you came to Christ and you had this background, and so no wonder you're still walking with the Lord. Well, all well and good, but uh, probably the, one of the uh, people in this world who's walked with God has been the most consistent, the most on fire, uh, the most influential that I've ever met personally was Pastor Chuck Smith. And he was uh, basically raised on the gospel from knee-high to a grasshopper. Yeah. Very strong Christian background and Christian home and upbringing that he had. So, you know, which is more uh, advantageous, if yeah. you will, to come to Christ later in life 
uh, or to have that kind of background. Uh, you know, the, when I became a Christian in, in the groovy 70s, it was funny. Uh, there would be these rallies that would happen, and you'd always have an individual who billed themselves as, well, I was the biggest drug dealer on the West Coast, and, and I came to Jesus. And the next one would be, well, I was the biggest drug dealer on the East Coast, and, and I came to Jesus. And, and you'd hear these, uh, man, just over-the-top conversion stories, and Calvary Chapel is, is literally loaded with them. I mean, uh, read, uh, you know, From Fury to Freedom, uh, or watch that video, uh, the, the story of Raul Reese's life. Uh, the fact that he had come back from Vietnam was so overwhelmed with PTSD, yeah. he was going to uh, kill his wife and children and take his own life, just happened to turn on uh, Billy Graham on the television and came to Christ. Wow. Uh, and Rawl has uh, been a, yeah. an incredible uh, vessel for God ever since. Uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, uh, you know, we do see individuals that see these kind of testimonies, and uh, maybe this is kind of the gist of what uh, Yari's question is, he said, oh, well, you know, I grew up in the church and, you know, went to Sunday school and, you know, never really, you know, I just don't really have much of a testimony. No, you got an incredible testimony, you know, and, and I think even the illustration you bring up, Yari, is an important illustration of this. You're walking with the Lord after being in church all these years. Uh, church is not maybe the most safe place to be, if you will. I mean, you run a lot of hypocrites there, a lot of phonies there. I mean, there are people that have been in Bible teaching churches and have been molested uh, mm -hmm. by individuals that they trusted and so on. So, you know, every avenue that we have in this world uh, has its challenges. And for someone to, you know, start their race well and run uh, through to the end, man, I just have so much respect and admiration for people that grew up in church and still have a, a passionate relationship but geez, and there's right. a bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I see them in our church every Sunday. And so, I mean, if we we're going to do a survey of uh, the people that are at Calvary Christian Fellowship, you, you'd probably find a pretty mixed result as far as people that came to Christ later in life, people that were raised in the church, uh, never deviated from that, uh, people that walked with the Lord uh, early on, maybe had a time of being a prodigal and then came back. All of this is just to say, when Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship, it literally means his work of art. God doesn't stamp us out by cookie cutter. Uh, he fashions our hearts individually for his glory. And he uses everything about our lives uh, to bring honor to his name. So uh, whatever background you come from, you know, just revel in that. That's the place God has put you to glorify him and, yeah. uh, and, and just do it. You know, we've all got a story to tell. You know, some people will say, well, no, to me, well, no, no wonder uh, you love Jesus because, you know, you're coming from this kind of background. Well, uh, you know, it's very easy to turn the tables and say, well, no wonder you love Jesus, you were raised with it. But all of those various backgrounds and, and avenues that God uses to get a hold of us were not without their challenges. Yeah. So, yeah. And it has to become our own at some point. However we're raised, at some point we've got to grasp that for ourselves. We don't inherit salvation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's got to, it's, we've got to grasp it at some point. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I, I, I think of your testimony, Sean. I mean, talk about being raised in a Christian home, but you had to yeah. work through some things, right? Yep, and the scars to show it. When it comes to the real crux of the question, though, I think a better way of approaching this is oftentimes maybe even leveling this at God, saying, why would God put people in situations where they would have obstacles between them and God instead of these open doors? Why isn't everyone born in a Christian home, and why doesn't everyone born in a Christian home automatically receive this information, which has already been eloquently answered? But the best way to clarify that assumption just kind of dovetailing off of a tangent of a 
uh, non sequitur of a red herring and so forth, yeah. <laughs> uh, is in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. Uh, this is Paul speaking to a non-Jewish audience. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and note this, has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. For what purpose? So they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And then goes on to quote their sources to verify that, even according to their view of God, is true. So understand, you being born in whatever home or whatever country or whatever social climate that you're in is no accident. God's put you there knowing you and giving you every single capacity he is aware of, which is everything, to enable you to godly living. An atheist parent is no more an obstacle to a relationship with God, the premise of your argument, than a godly parent is. You're the one who gets to make the decision. But knowing then that God's kind of in on the journey, that it's his idea for you to come to salvation and is giving you every single opportunity, don't think that your environment, the whole nature versus nurture argument, has any place in salvation. The only thing that affects your relationship with God is spirit and will, and the spirit is working full-time to break down your will and get you to acknowledge what he's done to not only prove who he is, but who we did it for. And that's you. Mm, very good. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great question, Yari. Hope that helps you out. Thank you for that. Question from Robert. Uh, good evening, brothers. Good evening to you also. Welcome. Um, I have a question about the book of Enoch. What is its authenticity? And is it something that we should study? I know a brother in Christ who reads it, but I'm just not sure. Well, just to clarify, there isn't a book of Enoch. There are five Five. books of Enoch. Five and uh, just <laughs> to yeah. clarify to a little bit of history before we get into it, uh, the name Enoch is a reference to the book of Genesis chapter 4, one of the godly descendants of Seth, Adam and Eve's godly child. At least his descendants are noted as a particularly, uh, I guess, positive line compared to the other one. But they had other children, uh, and that's also worth noting. But Enoch is mentioned in Genesis, and that would be pre-flood and even pre-Noah by several lifetimes, by the way. So very, very ancient figure, we'd say around maybe 10,000 years before Christ, if we're going off of the traditional account. And if you want to uh, argue, you know, day-age theory or whatever, even more beyond that. But note, it's just very important to understand those dates go before the time of Noah, before the time of Abraham, and before the time of Malachi. Hold on to that. We'll get to it in a second. Uh, the Apart from Enoch's uh, name being the, I guess, title of those books, it obviously is a very interesting account that mentions the other named archangels apart from Michael and Gabriel, who for some reason is an archangel, despite him never being given that designation as a chief prince. Uh, interesting stuff. But uh, mentioning uh, even the nine lords of hell and the supernatural and all these other shenanigans going on, when you read through it, it can be some uh, pretty interesting stuff. Makes the book of Revelation look like uh, biology lecture. But when it comes to the nature of those books, when we're asking about, you know, authenticity is concerned, there's no doubt that it was written by Hebrew people in a Hebrew culture and by people who were among, note my words carefully there, among 
people who spoke as prophets of God. So when the Jewish nation was revealing scripture, there were people who were tested according to the standard of Moses, who were raised up and recognized and held to a capital standard, meaning that if they broke this standard, they would die, in order to communicate what the Book of Romans calls the very oracles of God. They were speaking on behalf of him. That's what a prophet is. Obviously, not every Jewish person was a prophet, and people who did claim to be prophets were held to a very strict standard. But even more important than that, when someone wrote something, that didn't mean that that was prophecy. And this is where we get to the authenticity of Enoch. Is it false literature? No more than, say, for instance, Transformers Rise of the Beasts is a history of Central America. It definitely takes place in a real place. It might mention some real people. I haven't seen the film, don't plan to. But it might mention, you know, historical figures or include actors and actresses where they have to give that disclaimer at the end uh, where it says any, any... Any resemblance to people living or dead is purely coincidental. And yeah. note, it should yeah. be considered coincidence if you run into them. Yeah. So obviously they're borrowing namesake for the sake of a fictional story. Even if they're referencing real things, that doesn't mean that the events transpiring in here actually happened. Right. And the fact that that is not a new art, that Hebrew people, like any other people, are capable of writing what we call the genre of fiction, is a big difference, and this is important, between something that's false and something that's not true meaning that it's not reflecting reality. If I read a fiction novel, it's not reality, but that doesn't mean that it's false. It's not trying to mislead me unless I'm handling it improperly. And the best way to handle something properly is first understand the genre, second understand the author's intent, and third just look at it and ask yourself the question, does this actually line up with the way that other people tend to be treating it? And I won't mention those other people, but I encourage you to exercise discernment if you come across a ministry that puts this forward as scripture. Now, okay, so the, the, the real, I, I guess, uh, decider as far as the authenticity of the Book of Enoch is, first of all, when it was written mm -hmm. and when are the quotes within it and the, the content within it, when did it take place? And who, what was the intent of the authors writing it? Yeah. So let's start with who wrote it. Yeah. Well, obviously, when it comes to any of the uh, 39 books of the Old Testament, which Enoch is considered in that era, would be attributed usually by the title to its author. There are differences, for instance, the Psalms, they usually mention Psalm by Psalm, which one applied to David, which one applied to Asaph, which one the sons of Korah. There's even Orphanic right. Psalms. We just don't know the author, but it was tested and recognized by people like Hezekiah and so forth. So when we look at that and we recognize, okay, this is set in scripture, that's in there for a reason. They've tested it according to the standard of prophets, not just because it sounds gaudy, but it was tested according to the standard laid down, starting with Moses, the first guy in history God used to reveal himself through writing. That's why they make him the metric. Now, what's also interesting is that when we ask the question, okay, the content, the substance, the author, uh, there are other instances. For instance, we don't know who the book of Job was written by. We do know it was recognized and treated as divine revelation, but in the genre of poetry, putting that out there. Uh, there's other accounts as well that aren't necessarily associated with the eyewitnesses of it. I don't want to lay this out flat as the reason why Enoch's false, but the accounts of Kings, First and Second Samuel, 
uh, chronicles, those were attributed to multiple authors. I, I tend to hold the theory that Ezra wrote the majority of chronicles, but the idea behind it is that we had three authors of First and Second Samuel. Kings covers centuries of history, obviously not one guy. So all that then being said, Enoch did not write the book of Enoch. How do we know this? Because the first mention, the creation, the existence of all of the books of Enoch take place after the time of Malachi, which was around the 4th century BC, mm -hmm. all the way to the intertestamental period receiving its closing at the writing of the New Testament. So that space between Malachi and Matthew, that 400 years of not silence, but no new information, you have what you need until further right. notice, right. is ultimately where Enoch finds himself. Now, it doesn't mean that God wasn't speaking during that time or even doing powerful things. The Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, that took place around this time period. But the fact that this would be treated as revelation would have been news not only to the Jews who saw it being written, but the authors themselves. Because if they claim to be speaking on behalf of a man who would have, if my math is right, have been 9,600 years dead, conservatively assuming, then they would either be receiving this through divine revelation, or they were lying, or it was fiction. So let's eliminate... Kind of like a fan fiction sort of a thing. Yeah, mentioning a historical figure and making him go on these fancy adventures with these uh, attributed characters, but not necessarily how they are portrayed in reality. We can do it with stuff even in fiction <laughs> all the time. So the idea of that is important to keep in mind. The um, concept of them speaking this as a deliberate lie. Well, we do know that there were people who spoke verifiably false things in the name of God and were struck dead within a year, executed according to the standard of Deuteronomy 18, and so forth. But when we look at that and say, obviously, Enoch still exists today, and Hebrews recognize it as just good interesting part of their literature, not history, but literature, then they'll go, okay, so it wasn't false. It wasn't tested as false. Was it divine revelation? Well, that would be a problem too, because if that was handled as divine revelation, it would be tested like any of the other books of the Old Testament would be. And there's claims in it that are not only new information, but false information, the most prominent of which is it claims that Enoch was the Messiah. That's not true, right. <laughs> even from a Jewish mindset. Right. They would note that as a future historical figure, but referencing a figure in the past, right. even within its own world, it doesn't make sense according to the Jewish worldview. The authors of first through fifth Enoch would have been executed as false prophets, but they weren't. So what does that leave? If the impossible has been identified, then what's left is what's true, no matter how improbable you may think it Elementary, is. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Sherlock Holmes, Holmes reference, Watson, right? Yeah. So that, that's the point. It was fiction. It was not treated as divine revelation. It wasn't revealing things that we didn't know about Enoch, because that would be the only way they'd get this information, especially after such a period of time. 9,000 years is a long, uh, long time to leave the bread out, so to speak. Another fact is that it wasn't verifiably false information because it's still treated and recognized as verifiable stuff today. So what is it? It's fiction. It's treated as fiction. It's allowed to be treated as fiction because it was never advertised, recognized, or tested according to that way. So it would be no more, going to your question, um, Robert, of 
spiritual stumbling block is if I were to read um, the Transformers War for Cybertron Origins to get ready for watching the movie, which I'll repeat, I have no attention to. The point being made is just that, though. If we understand its genre, if we understand its setting is fictional, then we're not going to have an issue with it and saying, oh, so uh, is Enoch the Messiah? Is Jesus like a re manifestation of Enoch? Uh, are these the seven archangels? Is there such a thing as Raphael and Donatello and Michelangelo? Yeah, the Ninja Turtles yeah, and stuff, right? <laughs> uh, are the Nine Lords of Hell a thing? So on and so forth. No, they're mentioned as interesting Kabbalistic mysticism and uh, artistic expressions in Jewish history, but they're no more real than Spider-Man or Dr. Octopus. So, or I'll just keep with my illustration, Megatron and Optimus Prime. So keep that in mind when you're reading it, and also make sure you remind people who are reading it that that is, in fact, a historical case. Because based on the date that it was written, the way it was responded to, and then the culture that it was written, and, of course, the testimony of the authors, who were not marked as false prophets, were, of course, handling the scripture and putting forward false information? No, just not true information. That's called fiction, which is allowed as long as it's treated accordingly. Now, again, I mentioned very briefly that there are ministries that try to put this forward not as just on par with scripture, but even in authority over scripture. Wow. That should be a not a red mark, a black mark. Like, you know, when they're yeah. playing uh, soccer, or as you call it, football in the across the pond area, they throw the red flag, means you're kicked out of the game. Red Kick them out game. of the entire yeah. <laughs> stadium. <league. Yeah. laughs> that, that person not only should not be recognized or listened to in any capacity for spiritual matters, but has shown themselves to be a false teacher, if not, at best, a really, really bad one. Yeah. Now, the, the one uh, hot-button issue that always comes up with all of this is, okay, fan fiction. So why... Is it quoted as scripture in the book of Jude? Mm. Because again, in Jude, uh, verses chapter one, verses fourteen through fifteen, it says Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, speaking of false prophets, saying, "See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they've done in an ungodly way, and all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him." Now there are those who say, "Well, Jude quotes from the book of Enoch." And we accept the book of Jude as being canonical, Jude being the half-brother of Jesus and so on. So, uh, you know, what do we do with that? Yeah. Well, here's what we do with it. Uh, Jude uh, quoting the book of Enoch is not the only example we find in Scripture of an inspired biblical author citing a non-inspired source to make a spiritual mm. point. Uh, in the book of Titus, for instance, uh, chapter 1 and verse 12, uh, Titus <laughs> quotes Epimenides' assessment of the essential culture of the people in Crete in a very unflattering way. Uh, we uh, see, for instance, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul was speaking to uh, the best and brightest minds of the Roman Empire at Mars Hill, he also quotes from Epimenides, hmm. saying that we are his offspring, also pointing back to the uh, altar of the unknown God, which Epimenides apparently uh, suggested to the people of Athens uh, when they were having a plague, saying you're barking up the wrong tree, you're talking to the wrong gods, there's an invisible God that's greater than all of them, here's his altar. But that so, poem was speaking of Zeus. Yeah, so the, 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 the long and the short of it is, is that just because you have a biblical author making a point using a secular source 
doesn't mean that everything that secular source says is thereby given uh, the two thumbs up, boy, you can trust this, let's build doctrine on this, let's do seminars on this, let's uh, sell software based on this, and on and on it goes. Oh, it goes. Uh, so uh, the, 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 the long and the short of it is, is that, uh, again, Jude quoting from the book of Enoch uh, doesn't mean or indicate at all that the entire book of Enoch is inspired or even true. All it means is that that particular passage in the book of Enoch is true. Mm. People ask the question, okay, how did the authors of the book of Enoch get this legitimate quote from Enoch? Well, apparently it was something that Enoch actually said. It was preserved in ways that we're really not given privy to, but we see that the divine author, uh, divinely inspired authors in the New Testament saying, this is something that Enoch actually said. Or it was was simply just an accurate statement. Yeah, yeah, so. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm not really sure we can get away with that because it does say, as far Enoch, as attribution, Adam, yeah. Enoch, seventh man, prophesied about these men, and then it has the following quote. So we don't really know how that was preserved. Uh, we have examples like the, uh, the uh, Qumran uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and so on mm-hmm. that contain an awful lot of different uh, threads of Jewish spirituality, ideas about uh, who the righteous Messiah would be, speculations along these lines. Uh, it's possible that some of these uh, statements that Enoch made uh, were preserved down through time. Noah would have had to have written it down, taken it on the ark with him, and preserved it beyond the flood. But uh, from that time onward, you know, uh, we're, we're pretty much operating in the realm of speculation at that point. Yeah, and just as a quick side note, remember that uh, th- Noah's three most inter our immediate sons were still alive at the time of Abraham. Yeah. If we're going to go off mm. their dates. So yeah. you got some pretty interesting information and people didn't die as quickly back then as they did today. So note that interesting timeline granted, but keep in mind that point. If you find someone that would treat all of the books of Enoch or use the books of Enoch as this authority, not just alongside, but over scripture. They've shown they don't know what scripture is. They don't know how to test scripture, which is another black mark. And of course, they're coming to or will be promoting conclusions that are going to be contrary to things we do know from scripture, and you're going to be led astray. But if on the other hand, your friend just says, just read it. Hey, I read it too, and not an apostate, but the, well, unless you're a Roman Catholic, then we might have a conversation. But the point being made is this. We need to understand not only what our scriptures are, but why we trust these books as opposed to others. The fact that their books are written isn't a big deal, but if we treat these books because they're written by Hebrews as scripture, first mistake. Because they're written by ancient Hebrews, second mistake. Mm-hmm. Something old doesn't mean something's true. That they might mention individuals that are mentioned elsewhere in scripture, doesn't mean it's true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, maybe an illustration that has always helped me with all this. Um, There's a uh, series on, um, I think it's on Amazon Prime, called The Man in the High Tower. Mm. And it's a uh, fictional uh, rendition of what would happen if, uh, say, Germany had won the war. Mm. And, uh, you know, how the Germans were running America and and so on like this. They made a video game off that. Well, you know, you you watch this thing and uh, it does deal with people that we know existed historically, the Nazis. Uh, It does uh, quote from people that we know existed historically, like Roosevelt or Hitler or uh, Hirohito or all these other people like this. But it doesn't mean that this is, uh, boy, you know, I'm going to 
find out all about World War II, I'm going to uh, watch Man in the High Tower. Right. You, you know going in, yeah. it's fiction. So, yeah. you know, just because it contains, say, an accurate truth yeah. from Franklin Delano Roosevelt doesn't mean that the whole thing's true. Right, yeah. Uh, just newsflash for you, the Germans didn't win World War II. <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. 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 That's, I, I guess that what you're saying is the same with some Christian movies that um, they can kind of have some artistic license there on some things and like the chosen and things yeah. like that. We talked about that where, yeah. you know, well, you want words on that. That's, yeah. you know, kind of straight. It's not scripture, you know, necessarily just because it's in one of those shows or a Christian. Movie. Yeah. And, and I mean, if someone looks at that as entertainment, then, then that's fine. But uh, boy, if you take it a step further and say, boy, this really explains Jesus to me in a deeper yeah. way, I think you're on shaky ground. Yeah. Uh, in those circumstances, just meant to be entertainment. And right. uh, the funny thing is, even the producers and people involved, there was this big dust up about a pride flag being shown on the set, and some of the actors made some uh, statements about uh, the fan base that were probably regrettable. Mm. Uh, pro tip uh, think twice, post once, <laughs> and you'll save yourself mm. a, lot of, a lot of problems. But, you know, when you, you take a look at something like The Chosen, the problem gets to be, uh, you know, it's kind of the clown nose on, clown nose off sort of a thing. You know, when uh, the uh, program is receiving accolades and they're saying, oh, this is just, you know, the marvelous portrait of Jesus. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Lord's really inspiring all of this. Well, then when someone points out that, say, Mormon doctrine crept into certain parts mm. of it, uh, or there, there were statements made, or Jesus running the Sermon on the Mount by the disciples to see what they thought of it before he shared it, uh, and someone says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, then yeah. they say, well, clown knows on, hey, that's just entertainment. Yeah. So, you know, I, all, all I can say is just take it as entertainment, uh, and uh, then that's fine. Uh, I think the, the best uh, criteria for things along this line is if it causes you uh, to want to dig into your Bible and find out who the real Jesus was, uh, not the one portrayed in the, the uh, series, but the real Jesus, then, then good. Mm -hmm. But if it's becoming a substitute for you finding Jesus in the Scripture, then I'd say you're on really shaky ground. Yeah, yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Rob, a great question. Thank you. Thank you for that. that. We got all controversial there. Yes, we, we, sure <laughs> we did. always do. Look what you did. We yeah. blame you, Robert, for yeah. that. That's all yeah. your fault. No. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any complaints, uh, just go to robert at <laughs> right. gmail.com. Gmail yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that yeah. must be yeah. his email address. Sure. That one wasn't taken. It has I'm to be sure. somebody. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure it'll go. Some person. guy at robert at gmail.com is going to get all these. Uh, they go, what, <laughs> what happened? Anyway, I, I remember when, when the internet started, this is completely relevant to what we're talking about, but some some smart people went and bought up, you know, Target.com or Walmart.com or oh, at sure. the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Someone who knew what was coming and they had to be purchased from the actual places. But anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Thank you, Robert, for your question. Yeah. Uh, question. And, and good luck with your emails. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Don't email him at Robert yeah, yeah. at Gmail. Yeah. Uh, question from Mike along the same lines. And Mike is from Manchester in England. We were having a little chat on the YouTubes there. So you automatically got to the to the front of the, the, the line, the queue. Nice, <laughs> nice nice football team there. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yes, very good. That's right. Very good. That's, that's yeah. more controversial than the last thing you said, so we, we'll just move on from that. <laughs> Who's the better football team? But anyway, with yeah. Worcester, so I was trying to walk it in. <laughs> <laughs> in that um, reference. I'll be coming to England soon. I'll, I'll come see you, Mike, if you have any uh, questions to give to me in person. But 
I can bring them back over. Uh, good evening, he says to all. I have a question about Bible interpretation. How can you know how to interpret the Bible correctly when so many different people interpret verses and pass passages, etc., differently? Thank you. So such a great question. How well, I can guess we interpret Scripture So the, the question is because some people come to wrong conclusions, how can there be a right one? How do we know what the right one is? Yeah, well, I guess a consistent standards. Well, yeah, a consistent standard. You know, the, here's here's the uh, trade secret for you, Michael. Uh, I have a three-year master's degree in biblical languages and theology from Talbot Theological Seminary. Uh, you know, they get you conversant in the original languages and so on. And and uh, you know, there's people who are saying, oh, you know, unless you study in the Greek, you can't really understand this. Well, one of the things uh, that I did before I went to seminary was I worked in radio and television news and journalism. And one of the things they teach you in journalism school, J school as they call it, is uh, how you can be an accurate reporter. That is to ask, answer the basic questions about any story. As you're filing your story on a particular event, you always answer the questions, who, what, where, when, and why. Mm. Uh, if you answer those questions or are able to answer those questions in a succinct way, you're going to have uh, an excellent report on the events of the day. Uh, unfortunately, these days they've uh, added and how I feel about it to <laughs> the standard journalism questions. But uh, if we apply those basic questions to any passage in the Word of God, we're going to have a really good understanding of what was the, the intended meaning. You know, you mentioned uh, earlier, Sean, about taking a look. Okay. Okay, what kind of literature am I reading here? Is it historical? Is it poetic? Is it prophetic? Uh, you know, what was the author's intent? Is it biographical? Uh, ask yourself the question, what sort of literature am I reading here? And, and when I use the word literature, uh, oftentimes I'll be uh, kind of chided by people saying, you, you, you mean to me, you take the Bible literally? Well, as a piece of literature, how else am I supposed to take it? Right. Uh, so if we approach the Bible like any other piece of literature, right? And uh, our goal is to read not into the text the things that we'd like it to say, but rather read out of the text it's actually saying and apply those five questions, who, what, where, when, why, uh, to a particular passage. Uh, 99 times out of 100, uh, the message of the Bible is going to be really clear, maybe even too clear. Mark Twain was famously quoted as saying, it's not those parts of the Bible I don't understand that disturb me, it's those parts of the Bible that I do understand that disturb me. It's pretty challenging stuff. Yeah. So uh, the, the other thing that I would just say when this question comes up, more often than not, people say, well, everybody's got a different interpretation of the Bible. No, actually, I've discovered something down through time, and you know we can use uh, our standard uh, Columbo questions uh, to uh, sort of get people to put their cards on the table about this. When they say, well, that's your interpretation, and this is my interpretation. Well, what flows out of what they say their interpretation is, inevitably, isn't interpretation of the text. What it means, it's application, hmm. you know, how it applies. That's right. really the bug, the bone of contention. And it's also that not that the passage isn't clear, it's that they don't like what the passage says, therefore they try to muddle it or dismiss it. Yeah. Just because, yeah. as the hazards of this generation, just because there's an exception to the rule, okay, this person doesn't want to take the Scripture plainly, therefore no one can take the Scripture plainly. No, that person's just got an issue. There is such a thing as objectivity. Yeah, and you know, one of the first standards we should have as we approach the Bible is the conviction that God has given us the Bible not to conceal truth, but to reveal it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, God doesn't just want us to guess. You know, it's not just an inkblot test where we can read whatever we want into it. Yeah. Um, as a published author, I will tell you something. I've written a number of books. I've ghostwritten a large number of other books. And I, I will tell you something. The author has an intended meaning. The, the, the yeah. point is to discover what the author's intended meaning was, not what I think the author should have said or what my two cents worth would be if I had yeah. the opportunity to do so. So if we learn to read out of the scripture rather than read into it, that's principle number one. When we realize that God, in fact, is interested in us understanding his truth, we maybe use some other tools that are available out there to give us some background on the culture, the, 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 the life situation in which it was written. Uh, the practices that are being mentioned there. Those are part of our journalistic questions, you know, asking not just who, what, where, when, and, and how, uh, but uh, looking at these things and saying, okay, when was this going on? What were, would people at that point have understood this to mean and so on? Not what it means to me, but what would the people there on the ground have understood stood it to be? That will keep you in really good stead. The other thing is this. Uh, the Bible, and I love this about uh, God's Word, is a self-authenticating book. If I take a particular passage in Scripture, right, and I say, this is the meaning of this verse, mm-hmm. right, uh, I need to say, okay, does it line up with what the Bible has to say about the same thing in other places? Mm-hmm. And if my conclusion is, is that what the Bible is saying here is completely at odds with the, what the Scripture has to say somewhere else, well, the problem is with the Bible, the problem is with me. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, in, uh, the, in Psalm 14, we are told, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Okay, um, you know, we could take a look at that and say, well, you know what, the Bible teaches there is no God. It says right here in Psalm 14 and verse 1, there is no God. See, the Bible teaches there is no God. Well, that's uh, a really interesting theory. Let's check that out. Uh, Does the Bible say elsewhere there is no God? Well, okay. Uh, Let's take a look at the verse itself. It doesn't say uh, there is no God. It says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Mm. That's the whole deal that maybe you hear sometimes where people say you've got to read it in context. You have to understand what the main point being expressed here is all about. And now, even in the psalm itself, it's not a jab against atheists, believe it or not. It's believers that live as if there is no God, that there's no moral accountability, and that there's foolishness in that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, when we, uh, you know, again, do our detective work, when we, first of all, pray, uh, because God's word is spiritually discerned. Uh, the, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. You ask why are there all these different confusions and so on. It, well, it's because people who don't know the author are trying to figure out what the author meant. And inevitably, they go astray. Uh, you know, if we have a living relationship with God, ask God to lead us and guide us into all truth through his Holy Spirit, ask those basic journalism school questions as we approach any passage in Scripture, check our work by comparing and contrasting it with what the Bible clearly says on other passages. And, you know, here's another one you can take the bank. The obscure passage of Scripture always yields to the clear teaching of Scripture. Mm. You know, in other words, uh, you're going to run into, uh, say, uh, passages oh, like uh, Psalm 82. We could 
point to uh, where it says, uh, you know, God takes his stand uh, among the gods and, uh, and so on. Well, is this teaching that there's all these different gods out there that are literally there? There's some divine counsel, as they, they say. Not according well, to Psalm, or Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Well, you know, and you, you even look at the rest of the psalm, uh, Elohim can mean God. It is used to describe God, but it's also used to describe mighty individuals or even individuals who speak in the name of God. Here's a great example of this. When Moses was begging off uh, as far as being God's spokesman, uh, he said, ah, you know, I'm, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I've never been eloquent before or since. Well, uh, God says, okay, I'm going to give you Aaron, your brother. He is eloquent of speech. Uh, I will give my message to you, and you shall be as Elohim to him. Now, does that mean that somehow Moses has been elevated to the same status as God? No, it just means that when Aaron heard from Moses, all that meant was that he was going to hear the whole truth unfiltered mm -hmm. from God. You know, in other words, when Aaron heard from Moses, he could know that he was getting it straight from the source that uh, Moses would be an impeccable source of God's truth. That's it didn't mean standard. that Moses was God. It just meant that Moses was going to be an effective re representative of God. And that's all Psalm 82 is all about. It doesn't say there's some bunch of Elohims kind of giving their two cents worth to the Almighty up there in heaven. It, it means that these false and corrupt judges in Israel who are supposed to do the same thing that Moses did to Aaron, that is, to communicate God's truth, his whole truth, and nothing but the truth to the people of Israel, had completely gone astray. They'd come up, become completely corrupt. Uh, you know, again, it, the last part of it says, uh, I've said, you're gods, you're all sons of the Most High, but you will die like mere men. In other words, you've been given this high and exalted position to have a relationship with God, to effectively and without fear or favor communicate his truth. You have not done that, and you're going to reap what you sow. And Jesus himself quotes it in that context and with that definition in mind when applying it to the human, um, I guess, false teachers known as the Pharisees. Yeah, so, you know, once again, here's a controversial area that clears up when we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture, not leaping to the book of Enoch or not saying, well, you know, a friend of mine had a vision or, uh, you know, this guy is a scholar and you don't, you know. It's all very, very plain. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8 tells us that God's word is plain to those who receive it. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's wooden. Uh, when Jesus said, I'm the door, no one looked for a doorknob on him, but it was very plain what Jesus was saying, that he yeah. was going to be the one who would provide us an entrance into heaven. So, cool. Yeah. Let's try and squeeze in one more question. This is a great question, big question, not much time left, but okay. maybe Sean will do it because he's, he's good at that kind of thing. A uh, question from Annie. She said, I found out hey. today that... <laughs> I think I've been insulted. <laughs> no, you are also yeah. good, but no. Sean is... Yeah. We're wasting time. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Annie said, I found out today um, that a woman I've become acquainted with over the last year is a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. What does that mean? Uh, what are the key differences from Christian? That is a great question, Annie. And Shorten is going to answer that for you in about two minutes. Yeah, uh, if you want uh, further resources on this, good book that was written on it. Uh, don't recommend everything he says, obviously, but James White is the Mormon, my brother. If you want more information on this and uh, maybe his follow-up lectures on Apologia, uh, that's his YouTube channel and his radio station, not unlike ours, uh, feel free to check in on that. He's had many moderated debates and is a very good communicator with that 
charismatic group, uh, very gracious, believe it or not, with people who aren't of the faith. I say that intentionally as foreshadowing, but uh, here's the point. When someone claims to be of the Church of Jesus Christ, or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or just a, uh, a member of the true church, or just, I'm a Christian like you, you always need to examine that because, first off, anyone can say the words, I am a Christian in that order, just like someone can say, I am a God in that mm -hmm. order, and they don't burst into flames. Truth isn't immediately silenced if it becomes a lie. We need to have the wherewithal to examine whether or not it's true. When it comes to the non-negotiables of what makes someone a Christian, obviously we try to keep the list narrow, and Mormonism fails this test, not just in one or two areas if you look at it from the right angle, but emphatically. And people, of course, from that organization will either say, well, your standards are stacking the deck, you're being unfair, or your standards aren't biblical. They would, of course, define biblical as what their organization hands to them. Little red flag there. But here's the point. What makes someone a Christian are four fundamental claims. First of all, that there is one God, that that God has revealed himself in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that that Trinity was revealed to us through his inspired and inerrant word that we use as the standard to determine life and godliness, and that we apply that through the most practical example, and that is salvation by grace through faith. According to the fourth article of faith in the Mormon Church, they deny that the Bible has been translated correctly unless it is read in light of their extra revelations. They deny grace by faith. Second Nephi, one of Joseph Smith, their founder's extra revelations, claims that it is by grace you are saved after all you can do. The uh, fundamental assumption of Mormonism according to doctrines and covenants and the teachings of Joseph Smith are that we are all ultimately going to become gods if we obey celestial principles, ceremonies, and celestial marriage. And then, of course, the denial of the Trinity. It doesn't teach that there is only one God, the fundamental foundation of the Trinity. It, it's in fundament, it is the most polytheistic religion out there. It's not Christian. I mean, come on. See what I mean? What a problem. I, <laughs> I don't have to worry about the time. Mike I just dropped. sat back. <laughs> we'll see you again tomorrow. Thank you for your questions. God Hope you join you us again tomorrow. Same time, same place. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.